Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to the worship team. Great job today. No matter whatever campus you may have been at, great worship today. Well, we're doing something a little different today. We did it on Father's Day last year and really by popular demand brought it back this Father's Day. As I introduced earlier, Mark Carpenter, who leads the Transformation Center, who is also who we partner with for our counseling ministry here at our church. And so I want to plug that right off the bat. Um, if you think you or your family uh, need some kind of counseling in order to survive and even thrive, uh, we help supplement that. It's all based on a, on, a, on a scale as far as what you can afford, and it's totally anonymous. No pastor here knows who's taking counseling unless you tell us. I'm not in the loop on that whatsoever. But hundreds of people have already gone through it this year already. And so if you want to sign up for that, it could not be simpler, pvine.org slash family pvine.org slash family. If you go there, click on the button to sign up. It'll put you into a series of events that'll eventually get you an appointment here for counseling. And one thing I would tell you about that, most of the time, men, uh, counseling is, uh, you know, a dirty word. We don't want to go. We don't want to do it. We fight it. And I always say, well, how, how do I know if I need counseling? If your wife says you need counseling, you do. That's how, that's how you know. She's not joking around about it. She wants to go. She said, but I want, to, I want to tell you this, because this is really, I think for me, this is a um, revelatory statement. Like when most issues in most of our families and marriages, oftentimes, oftentimes you need one appointment, one appointment, one appointment. You can set yourself on a trajectory. Most, most couples fight over a singular issue they can't get beyond. And then what happens is it escalates and builds off that singular issue because you don't know how to deal with it and you're not dealing with it well. So I just encourage you, uh, if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, uh, hear me say, if you need one appointment, one appointment, pvine.org slash family, and it could be life-changing for you and your family. Well, if you're new to our church and hundreds are, let me tell you what we're doing today. Uh, We polled our uh, congregation and we asked dads, what's something you wish you knew and uh, from Mark and I? And we polled wives and we asked the wives as well. Now the wives are more wordy than the men are when they respond and oftentimes more direct, but we, we got a tremendous amount of, of um, responses from men and women. And so what we've done this morning is we've compiled that into about six or seven conversation starters where Mark and I are just going to have a conversation uh, to dads. Dads, this is to help you. This is to make you a better father. I don't know about you uh, as a father. I felt 100% inadequate to be a father, and I was a father of girls. And so I was always looking for help. How can I be a better dad? How, how can I do this better? How can I fix what I'm not doing right and, and what, what I'm doing wrong? How, how can I do it better? So we, we really want to help you with that today. We want to hopefully give you uh, two to three words of wisdom that you personally can take home and implement 
into your life. And so we've been able to compile all these questions. We'll touch on about every question asked because believe it or not, they were all very similar in nature. And so uh, we, we, we've got these six or seven talking points I want to walk us through. And keep your Bibles open. I'm going to have you turn to your Bible a couple of times. And the first thing I want you to do is turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible. Because that's going to segue into this first question. And I'm going to ask Mark this question. I just want to read the question as I've compiled it. And I want to make a few comments about it as I go. Ephesians chapter 5. This question was asked so much, so much. As a matter of fact, this was, we're doing this first because this was the number one asked question by men and by women. And it was the question of uh, the dad, the husband, taking the leadership in the home. Now, some of you may be here watching online uh, or watching this later on, and you're thinking, well, hey, who says the dad is the leader of the home? Who says the husband's the leader of the home? So I want to deal with that right off the bat, right? Look in Ephesians chapter 5. If you've been in church a long time, you, you know these verses. Ephesians 5 uh, uh, verse 22. Wives, submit your, to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, you have to deal with the word submit here all throughout Ephesians 5. Before it, by the way, before this, it tells us all to submit to one another. So it's an attitude of submission a Christian is supposed to have in general. The word submission in the Greek is, has nothing to do with quality. It has everything to do with order. So it's a word of order. It was a word that was used of even military rank, which meant a, a general is not a better person than a, a sergeant is. It's just a matter of rank. Who comes first? Who, who's the decision maker? And not. And so that's the word that's being used here. Wives, submit to your husbands as of the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. But then husbands love your wives, not as Christ loved the church and gave, uh, just as Christ loved the church rather, and gave himself for her. Now, th this has to be said right off the bat. If you read this passage, men, and you hear the word authority, you have misread the passage. That is not an issue of, hey, I, the Bible says I'm in charge, right? That was probably a naive understanding of Scripture. It's one I had early on in our marriage that I informed my wife that's how the verse reads. And I said something like this. Woman, the Bible says, I'm the head of you, so you do what I say. And when I said it that way, she just fell right in line. That did not happen. I mean, I did say that, but that, uh, the second part did not happen. It, because I'm, that's not the way the Scripture reads. The, if you read that passage and see the word authority, you've read it wrong. When you read that passage, you, see, you should hear translate the word leader, leadership. It's a leadership role that's coupled with Ephesians 5, 24. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did you do that? It was, it was of submissive love. It was Christ washed the disciples' feet. Christ gave his life for the church. He literally gave his life for the church. That's our example. He told us to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. So I want to say the backdrop. Yes, men, 
you're not to be the dictator of the home. You're to be the leader of the home. And that was the question that was asked. So Mark, I want to, I want to take it off a pastoral spin for a minute. And I want to put it in your venue. The question was asked so much wives stated over and over. And I'm going to, it's a long question. I'm going to read it and then turn over to Mark over and over. Wives stated men that they wanted their husbands to be the spiritual leader of the home. Now, with that, they said this. They wanted the husbands to be a model for the family of morality. They even mentioned the kind of television. One mentioned the kind of movies that a family watched. A a model for the family in the language they use. The leader in devotions and Bible engagement at home. And some wives even mentioned, I wish my husband would quit drinking alcohol in our family. Now, y'all know I'm, I'm a teetotaler. I think the Bible teaches to stay totally away from alcohol. And so where do we go with that? A lot of men, Mark, are quiet and reserved by nature, right? That's, that's a lot of men's, I'm a talker, but I'm probably not all men are talkers. I, I get paid to talk for a living, right? So that's kind of my giftedness. But most men, let's just say a good portion of men are not. How does a man step out in front here and begin to be the spiritual leader of his home? Um, I think there's the, the starting place is the, the piece you just said. So often when we see leadership, we think it's supposed to look like Joel and I. And what I mean by that is Joel and I talk for a living. And so we think, well, leader means that I got to talk a lot. And that the leadership is about movement. To me, the best way you can understand masculinity and, and really what a man is supposed to be, it's about movement. In other words, it's you move towards things. You move towards one of the things we, call, we call, put as the pinnacle of, of, of male strength is the Medal of Honor. It's this picture of men moving towards the difficult men moving towards the hard and that's why when you see a man withdrawing and avoiding he's really functioning out of his flesh and out of his fear the way you're functioning and the way god called you to do it is you move towards it you move you move towards with kindness you move towards with compassion it's when you're in withdrawal mode or you're in just standstill mode you're functioning more out of the fear that you're alone and you're the one that's got to pull it off let, let me come at this maybe a because um, my biggest struggle in working with men is, they, is how much they, they misunderstand their importance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was raised in the beaver cleaver world. Was, I was a very, the very end of it. But yet, and roughly around my childhood, um, this is part of the reason why there was such a divide between psychology and theology, is psychology began to say that Gloria Steinem was the first one. She said, um, a man is, impor- is as important to a wife, uh, uh, to a woman, as a bicycle is to a fish. There was a book that was actually published in 1982 that was accepted, quite widely accepted. And the acceptance was it was espousing that that home should not include a man, mm. that the home should be, just should, should be uh, parented by just the wife, believing it was more egalitarian, and that it was more of an equal home in that process. So you, you, this whole world of saying men aren't important, you have no value. So let me, let me give you, let me give you some, some pieces. Um, what's happened in the world of, of, the, of the struggles of despair, and the struggles of despair are things like anxiety, depression, and suicide. Those are, the, that's the, those are the pieces that I can put it in. And what's happened is people of affluence, kids of affluence 
are increasing in that number, so much so to the point where the statistic is today that 46% of kids struggle with some form of, of a struggle of despair. In other words, they can actually be diagnosed with anxiety, depression, or suicidal thought. 46% as a result of the last several years of going through pandemic. Now, for those of you who think, Mark, we're not affluent. If you have two, parent, two people in a home, you can, you can eat three meals a day, you have a car, you're affluent. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so th- that dynamic. So now, where do you, from, from there, the, the struggle to it is one of the hardest statistics for the church is 90% of kids somewhere in the 18 to early 20s leave the church. The sad part in it, that may not be here at Peavine, but nationwide, that's the statistic. 90%. So 90% are leaving. Now, that 10% that come back, or the 10% that stay, what's the difference? There's a longitudinal study that was done on, that, was done on that group. Longitudinal meaning they followed 2,000 kids from the age of 14 into, uh, into 30. What's fascinating about that, about that group is that they began, it's, three, it's four pieces. Bottom line, that group, they began to believe that they were loved, held, guided, and never alone. Mm. Loved, held, guided, and never alone. That's what caused them to begin to realize that staying involved in a faith community, staying involved in that world. Now the argument would be, well, that's the church's responsibility to make sure you're loved, held, guided, and never alone. But you, the, the, the piece is, what's the father's role in that? My bias is the church just reinforces what dad should be doing. Right. If the church is the only place that that's done, it's not enough. And I think we can even see that from that statistic. Is, is, is that piece of it. But the other piece to it is we were of the generation that we vaccinated our daughter. We have one daughter. She's 33 now. We vaccinated her. Why did we vaccinate her? We vaccinated her because it would, it would prevent her from having disease. So here's the, here's the statistic that should, that should shock you the most. Of that 10%, 80%, 82% of them were less likely to be addicted. 82%, 82%. Mm-hmm. For, um, eight, 60% against depression, 70% against taking risk, 80% against suicidal. When you look at those numbers, that's higher statistics than most, va- most vaccine. It's definitely higher statistics than my COVID vaccines. <laughs> I mean, so it's, 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 it's significantly higher. So now, why, why do I start there? Because it's a picture of the importance of dad's leadership. It's important that, dad, you have a role in the home. The reality too is you're designed to move towards your kids in love. Developmentally, what happens for a kid, roughly in that four or five-year-old range, maybe sometimes as high as six, they get a splinter. And they fall on the floor and they think they're going to die because they get the splinter. Roughly at 12 to 18, 12 to 17, sometimes early as 10, the child will begin to have that same reaction to feeling rejected at school. They'll have that same reaction to feeling like they didn't do well on the test, meaning they'll fall on the floor and think they're going to die and they won't survive. It becomes emotional, just like physical pain in the early childhood, it becomes emotional. And what happens is if dad's not present, if dad's not involved, if dad's not modeling what it looks like to be held, loved, guided, and that he's never alone, if he's not modeling those things, if he's not living those things out, the child begins to believe the lie that you're, that you're alone. 
The most consistent promise in Scripture is I will be with you. What's the most consistent lie? You're alone. It's all up to you. You're the one that's got to pull it off. So I start there to try to give you a lay of the land, guys, to give you a lay of the land, that that's the world your kids, that's the world your wife, that's the world you're living in today. You'd, and and, if, and it, it's designed for your leadership. If your leadership is not there, it creates a void. So what do they do with the void? They go to the culture. Mm. That's right. what they do. If you're not moving towards it, they go to the culture. Yep. So I, I jotted these stats down just in case I need them. But child's, children raised in father-absent homes, four times greater risk of poverty, poverty yep. Yep. more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teen, more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs, two times more likely to drop out of school. That, that's father absent homes, but you can have a father in a home who will still be absent. Yeah. See, what's, what's fascinating if you talk, well, even for myself, my, my, my father, my parents were married all the way through my childhood, but there are periods of my childhood where I don't remember dad. What I mean by that is I don't remember him at the table. Mm. I don't remember him playing with us. I don't remember him doing anything. I remember getting spanked by him, but I don't remember anything other than uh, the, the rest of the time I was with mom. Dad was not an active presence in that. So many times, that, 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 that's what's fascinating about those statistics is we think it's, oh, it's dad's, it's dad's gone. It's divorce homes. It, it's, it's homes where dad's incarcerated or dad's in the military. No, many of those statistics are dad was just emotionally absent. What, to me, one of the scariest things is, is you talk to a home, what's dad do? Dad is in the garage. He's in the yard. He's it, or he's at the ball field, or he's in front of a TV. That dynamic of being able to interact sometimes because it sends the message to the child and to your wife that you're not really that important to me. Because yeah. you got to remember your your kids and your wife pay more attention to your behavior than they do your words. Wow. My, one of the things that was most uh, my early, one of my earliest memories with my daughter, we're walking in, in Hamilton Place. And we're walking through the food court. She would have been probably five or six. And this, there was a group of girls in front of me that didn't have a whole lot of clothes on. And her, her reaction was she automatically turned to look to me. She wanted to know where my eyes were. She wanted to know what I was doing. The number of times I can tell you we've been sitting, at, we'll sit at home, something will come on the TV, and she looks to me because I'm the one with a channel changer. Mm. Wow. And it, it, she, she's watching me. Even my grandkids, they're watching me more than, and what happens is we, we default thinking leadership is about words. And so we do, what we do is we get lots of lectures. You know, we, we talk a lot. I mean, I was talking to someone just the other day and they gave a, a, a 12 year old boy a 90 minute lecture, a yeah. 90 minute lecture. He checked out at minute two. Yeah. He didn't hear another, didn't have another yeah. word to it. So that's what we default rather than knowing it's your behavior they're paying attention to. Yeah, quiet leadership. A lot of yeah. times what we see from the yeah. most successful dads. Um, and so, guys, I think one of the things Mark said I wanted you to hear that is so important for me as a man to hear, like this is helpful to me. It's not perfection, it's movement. Yeah. If I'm just, if I'm just starting to go in the right direction, if I, like yeah. when it comes to even these issues of morality, wives mentioned, just go in the right direction. When it comes to even a devotion time, I, I'll be honest, our devotion time with our kids when they were growing up was scattered. We had ball games. There were often times we were at a stage in our life where, where one would have one kid at a ball game in one city and, and the other one another kid in another city, and that was always going on. 
And so we just said, hey, we're going to do the best we can. We're always, we're always moving in this direction. Yeah. We're not going to worry about it being perfection. We're just mm-hmm. going to head in this direction. Mark, just kind of an interesting take on that because um, we need to move on to a couple others. But it's, it's interesting to me that wives in this culture said, I want men to take leadership in my home, right? Mm-hmm. Almost an anti-feminist yeah, uh, yeah. question. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see now in the culture, the trad movement, the traditional wife movement, where they're wanting their husbands take the lead, kind mm-hmm. of a, yeah. I'm not saying that movement's biblical, mm-hmm. but kind of a biblical stance on it. Why is it that a wife wants their husband to take the lead? Is there something inherent about it that that they understand makes the family better when the husband's in the... Um, yeah. it, I think there's a couple of different things. Number one, it, it's it's the desire for some kind of covering, uh, desire for protection, desire to feel safety. I mean, for many women, that, that need to feel safe is a huge piece of it. But the other go back to that dynamic of what's the biggest lie? You're alone. Mm-hmm. Why am I convinced that's the biggest lie? Because it's the most consistent promise. Mm-hmm. The most consistent promise in Scripture is I will be with you. So how does the enemy get us the, the, the most? Getting you to believe the lie you're alone. So what happens is when a man's not fulfilling his role, the, the, the picture you've got to see, if he removes the covering, she's alone. And what happens is then it prevents her from being the thing she's best at. What she's best at is she's best at being a responder. She responds to the world around her. A man moves towards it. She responds to it. So what happens is, here's a child being overwhelmed with a splinter, or overwhelmed because they feel rejected at school, and what happens is they're trying to respond to it with no covering. They're, they're, they're dealing with the stress of the, of, of the world. They're dealing with the stre- stress of the home. They're dealing with the stress of laundry, and there's no partner. So she feels alone, and rather than being responding, she has to lead. She has to move. She has to step forward. She has to in- engage rather than responding to his movement, to his, to, to his direction. It, 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 it's a, that dynamic, it, and what it typically does, it, it's interesting because for most men, their knee-jerk response is withdrawal avoidance. What's most women's knee-jerk response? More words. <laughs> and so, so consequently what happens is it feeds the cycle where he's withdrawing, and she has to initiate and move towards more, and she uses it with more and more words, which typically makes the man withdraw even more. So really, she's having to do both roles. Right, exactly. And she's not equipped right. for one of those right. roles. Mm-hmm. You really can't do both roles well at right. all. Mm-hmm. All right, I want, I want to move on to a different subject here. Uh, multiple wives mentioned how much their husbands hurt them with criticism and uh, demeaning words. And we know with men, a lot of times, it's not just the content it's the tone and mm-hmm. everything coming out and Ephesians 4:32, one of my favorite verses of scripture let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but rather that which is good for edifying yep. that may minister grace to the hearers right so I, I think sometimes men fall into this we don't understand the impact the our words have on our wives our words have on our children especially yeah. uh, it doesn't take but a simple google search to figure out uh, how much verbal abuse can affect a child and all that. Mark, how does a man really make himself aware of it? And then what does he do about it to understand the impact his words are having on his family? Um, so let me really mess with you for just a second, <laughs> guys. Um, let me ask you to ponder two questions. If you have a way to write this on your hand, if you have a way to get your wife to write it on her hand <laughs> so she can ask you this later, two questions. Um, the people around you, what would they say you love? 
But see, I, I think my highest love is God. My next highest love is my wife. My next highest love is my, is, is my daughter, my son-in-law, and my grandchildren. I, I think, and that's what I would verbally tell you are my highest loves. But then now, let's look at my checkbook. Let's look at my calendar. There's 168 hours in a week. If I sleep 40, if I sleep seven hours a night, I work 40 hours a week, it's going to leave me with about 88 hours. What did I do with that 88 hours? How did I spend it? If, in other words, I move towards what I love. I move towards what's important to me. So ask the people around you, what do I love the most? What's the most important to me? And the next question is, um, what emotions do I have? Most men, if you would ask their wives, what's your husband's emotion? Anger. Mm. That's his emotion. Does he have any other emotions other than that? Uh, that well, I don't know, but I know anger. He's got mm-hmm. anger. Men are emotionally illiterate. We don't understand the, the whole breadth of being able to express emotions. And so consequently what happens is it just divides a wall because we love a screen more. We love the yard more. So that's why the most simplistic way I can put it, guys, is to ponder the question, what are you doing with your 88 hours? That's, and then now, here's the thing. I work more than 40 hours a week, so I have even less. Mm-hmm. Now, I used to think, well, I, I used to sleep less. And that's how I got more hours. But it's the dynamic of where am I spending it? Where am I? If you want to, even tying it back to leadership, where are your clock hours spent? You can't get more of those. You can't get less of those. That's what you get each week. Everybody in this room gets 168 hours a week. That's what you get. Where are you spending it? That's the best way to understand that it's going to evaluate because what ends up happening is your kids, your wife, just get the angry leftovers. They're an irritation to you. So consequently, you're agitated, you're frustrated with it. And then one other piece to it, just real quickly. If anger really isn't, and sadly for many men, anger is an issue, you've got to talk to somebody. Mainly because anger is a cover emotion. There's always another one below it. And it's usually fear, shame, or rejection. Somewhere in your life, you've been wounded. And so every time your wife comes to you and says, Honey, isn't the sky amazingly blue? What you hear is, You're such an idiot, you can't even tell the sky's blue. In which you hear your wound. You hear, and what's the wound for most, most men? You're inadequate. You don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. So consequently, when you're, someone shows a need, you feel more like she's pressuring you more than she's trying to partner you. So consequently, anger is the response to it. So it's two pieces. Number one, you've got to be a better steward of your time. Or number two, you've got to examine your heart. There's some aspect of a wound that you're responding out of that. Yeah, that's good. So um, I resonate with men are emotionally illiterate. Like we just don't have depth of yeah. emotions the way a woman does mm-hmm. and knee jerk reactions. I'm processing through what you said. Cause yeah. I found that interesting. I know this, <laughs> I only cry during sports movies. Yeah. yeah. And when Iron Man died at the end of Avengers, I'll get teary eyed. So, at the end so of Hoosiers life. and Rudy. But my wife, I'll look over her sometimes during a commercial and she, I'm like, wait, was there something sad? Just then? I, didn't, I missed it. Like, I don't yeah, understand yeah, what yeah, the issue yeah. is here. So we don't process as well. We're not on their level of no. processing. It's not good or bad. It just is. Right. But it causes us 
So we deal with fr- I'm, I'm trying, we deal with frustration. Our calendar's too full, mm-hmm. so we sometimes see our family as a frustration when ask are coming our way, and that causes the negative re- verbal responses. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Wow. So really, bringing more margin into your life will yep. even help with how you oh, talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you th- I mean, think about it. I mean, f- examine your, you worked eight hours today. Examine when you come home. Do a self examination, and literally meaning how how, t- how tense do I feel? How stressed do I feel? How agitated, how restless do I feel? And what you'll find is more often than not, your family are just getting your reactions. They're getting, re- because the bucket's too full. I, I always look at it through the metaphor, it was almost like a, like a wash tub. And some of you have a, have a capacity of a huge wash tub, meaning you can handle a lot of stress. You can handle a lot of problems. You can handle a lot of difficulty. But sadly, some of you have, th- have the capacity of this. In other words, why, and what's the difference to it? It's some of it's biology, but a lot of it is wound. If you grew up in a home where you were demeaned, belittled, harassed, abused, your capacity to deal with the needs of normal life is usually diminished. Wow. All right. So we're going to have to move a little faster. I'll, give me one minute on this one. Okay. One minute. Okay. Uh, it's, no matter when we ask questions, young couples, Father's Day, this one gets brought up. And I think this is one of those things, couples, where one counseling appointment will help you. Women brought up chores. I need I need domestic help from the so, husband. So it's 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 you got to examine it's, it's two pieces. Number one for a man, it's either awareness and the reality to it is you you're, you're going to have to make some attempt to actually whether or not it's you assign your yourself to yourself. This is my chore and I always do it and recognizing I, I've always got to be at and then now let me now I got to talk to the women. Debbie and I were talking, my wife Debbie and I were talking just yesterday, and she remembers real early on that I did not fold the towels the way she liked it. What I mean by that, she likes to take the towel, where you take the two sides, you fold them in like this, and then you fold it, in, and you kind of fold it three ways, and it has this nice, neat little thing, and I just take the thing, fold it in half, fold it in half, fold it in half, and slide it in. And, and the reality to it is she remembers real early on having to go, i got to let that go. So I'm always trying to evaluate when, the, when chores are an issue, how much of it is the man won't show the initiative and how much of it is he's going, you know what, I'm never going to make her happy anyway, so I just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And that, I know that's a terrible excuse. It's terrible, but you've got to have to examine and, and have, it, have dialogue about both of it. Okay. Uh, another one, as quickly as we can, because I want to get this one in. Uh, women stated multiple times they, they still needed, no matter how long they've been married, to, they still need to be wanted, pursued, and dated. Now, we know, men, you know how to do it because that's how we got her in the first place, right? Like, yeah. we knew, we, at some point in our lives, yeah. we knew what to do, mm-hmm. but it often wanes with marriage. Yeah. How important is that to a woman, really? Speak um, to men. Yeah, j- just like I tried to say at the beginning, trying to give you the lay of the land, every woman in this room wants to know she's wanted and enjoyed. If you don't hear anything about this thing, she wants to know she's wanted and enjoyed. Not for this thing she lives in, meaning her body, but that her. And so what happens is when you don't pursue, when you don't touch, when you don't talk, when you don't laugh, when you don't just simply the dance of connection, what's the dance of connection? You move towards her and then she responds. Because again, if you don't do this, you're asking her to be the initiator You've got to be the initiator, and then she... Because think about it. What is your greatest joy with your wife? It's her smile and her laughter. Mm -hmm. When I think about my greatest joys, the greatest things I've had with my wife, it's her laughter and her smile. When does she do that the best? When I've moved towards her. 
when I move towards her with a hug, with a touch, with time together with her. She really wants to feel like she's important enough where you actually took the time to plan for it, organize it, create it, do it. The, the planning to her means as much yeah. as the actual oh, event. Absolutely. Or the, absolutely. Whatever. It's that yep. you put the time into it. Yep. All right. Another one-minute answer. You're not going to be able to do this one in a minute, but, but let's give it our best shot. Mm-hmm. How do you raise a strong son in this culture where, where men are constantly being pushed towards being effeminate? Now, now, we wish they were effeminate. Now they're being pushed towards being women yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah, the definition of a woman yeah. is, as we see in the culture. So, so you, if, if I'm a, te- and I'm going to be a granddad of a teenage mm-hmm. boys at one point, mm-hmm. give a dad some advice on how to raise a strong masculine, which is a biblical concept. So, so uh, the first developmental place is usually between four and six. Somewhere in that range, that's the little boy starts to go, daddy's a boy, I'm a boy. It's not about body parts. It's about daddy's a boy, I'm a boy. And the more daddy is willing to wrestle with him, play with him, involve and do things with him, the more he begins to feel he belongs in the world of men. Because you think about it, up to that point in his life, he belonged to the world of women. Why did he belong to the world of women? Because a woman was the biggest thing in his life. All his needs were met by a woman. All, those, all of his needs were connected there. Daddy's got to invite him into the world of men. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and, and it comes through just spending time with him, being belonging with him. Now I go back again to the masculine de- definition. It's movement. So what happens is many times for men, guess what? I, I love Georgia football. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love those kind of things. And my son is into music or he's into games. Well, I don't really know what to do with him. I don't really know. So, so what happens is he never gets to model and understand what movement looks like. Because here's the thing. Masculinity is defined by movement and risk. So he never risks. He never sticks his neck out. He may not risk shooting a, shooting a deer, but if he'll risk trying out for the part in the play, if he'll risk trying out for the musical, if he'll risk coming to, coming, coming to church, if he'll risk doing those things, you're growing his masculine heart. You're growing that process there, getting him to move towards things that are difficult, getting him to move towards things that are hard, and the only way he has the courage to do it is he knows he has a daddy standing right next to him. I mean, you think about it, again, the most consistent promise is I, as I'm with you. The, there's so many things, and I, I guarantee you everything you do in this church and all the amazing things you do is because you have the belief that your daddy is with you. Mm-hmm. Your heavenly father is guiding your steps. Mm-hmm. Imagine the courage that it gives you to start new programs, to do different things, all because you believe that truth. Right. You're not alone. Right. So here's a six-year-old. And he's got to go try out for the baseball team, or, or he's got to go to, to Boy Scouts, or, he's got to, or, or, he wants to go, or he wants to go sing. And he knows daddy's with him. You see the difference in how much taller he stands and how much bigger he is and how much stronger he feels because he's willing to risk because his daddy was with him. Yep, love that, love that. All right, Drake, you can come get a song, uh, uh, guitar together. Last question on the way out. What is something the wife and kids could give to to the dad today that would have lasting impact on his life? The hardest thing for most women to accept is is, is how insecure he feels. Most men feel like they're inadequate. They don't measure up. They can't pull it off. They're just, they're not enough. 
And when, when you, if you could understand, that's the lie that rattles around in his, heart, his head. So when you actually touch him, you're, you put your arm around him, you stroke his hand, you actually smile at him, and would you, you move towards him and you tell him, I, I believe in you, you have what it takes, you're amazing. When he believes that you believe in him, he stands t- taller and stronger. Yeah, and I think that gift of belief Mm-hmm. So that's not the society we're in, right? I, right. We, we talked about this a little earlier. Yep. We went from fathers know, knows best, yeah. mm-hmm. to dad's the hero, yep. mm-hmm. to it's funny, but everybody loves Raymond and yep. you know dad, King of Queens. Yeah. Dad's the buffoon. Dad's a buffoon yep. and a moron, and yep. so mm-hmm. that's how wives should treat dad like he's a moron. Yeah. But when you treat your, when you treat your husband like he's a moron, guess what you're going to get? Mm-hmm. A moron. Yeah. Yep. And I'll say this: I'll throw some love to my wife and my girls. Um, I didn't grow up in an encouraging home at all. But when I got married, my wife became my biggest cheerleader, and she knew when she wanted to get something done, she could cheerlead me to it. Yeah. And so she taught my girls to do that with me. I'd literally come home from work, open the door, and my three girls be standing there like, you're the best door opener on the planet, man. You're awesome. And I think... I, I am awesome, yeah. man. I opened that door great. Like, that was phenomenal the way I opened that door. But it molded me. Yeah. It, it actually gave me confidence yep. because I felt like, hey, I could go to my job or pastoring and, and I could do something wrong. But here's what I knew two things I knew it without a doubt. God was with me, mm-hmm. and yep. my three girls had my back. Like, yep. they were yep. with yep. me no, yep. no matter what. And uh, wise, if you want to give your husband something, it's lay off and encourage him and, and cheer, cheerlead him to success. That goes a lot farther than uh, the other. Hey, would you thank Mark Carpenter for being with us today? Mark, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Would you stand with me around the room? Here's what I want to do. We'll have pastors at Next Step Stations after the service Uh, And if you want to join our church or be baptized, if you need questions about coming to faith in Christ, or you want to talk to a pastor about signing up for counseling ministry, they'll be at the Next Step stations. They can guide you through that. Here's how I would like to close. And uh, uh, Pastor Drake will close this after I say amen. But would you bow your heads and close your eyes, and would you just do me this small favor? Thank you, Pastor Joel and and, and Mark. Um, Man, you can't listen to those guys and not walk away from that with something that God's laid on your heart that you need to work on. And, and sometimes sometimes we're heading the right direction, we're doing the right thing, um, but we, we, just need, um, we, we just need to hear some good godly advice uh, poured into our life. And I appreciate um, the message this morning from you guys. Hey you may have a decision to make and your decision may be related to you've never started a relationship with Jesus. Hey dad, lead your family in that way. Make that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to fix the gap separating you from God created by your sin. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and you have to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning and that is the decision you need to make, simply tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, I ask you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you. We want to say welcome to the family, and we want to send you some information that will help you take next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, it's been great to be together worshiping online uh, this morning. Go out there and celebrate Dad. Have some fun. Grill something. Do something amazing with Dad. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>